0: Our scripture reading this morning is found in Matthew 8, 23 to 27. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, "'Lord, save us. We're going to drown.' He replied, "'You of little faith, why are you so afraid?' Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. The word of the Lord. Good morning, TCC. Well, we are in a uh, pre-Easter series called The Jesus I Long to Know. And as I reflected on that title and thought about how I only get to preach once during this series, I was like, what am I going to talk about? Um, And so in praying about it and reflecting on it, uh, I was brought back to this familiar, familiar story in in Matthew's Gospel um, of, of Jesus calming the storms. On the Sea of Galilee, because this morning I want to talk about how Jesus is the one who has authority and power. Jesus is the one who has authority and and power, and because of that, he is worthy of our trust. And when we talk about this idea of the Jesus I long to know, I I think it's interesting, uh, and I find this for myself that our walk with Jesus. Within it, there is such an amazing invitation for us to to come to know Jesus more. That our knowledge of Him really on this side of heaven is never going to be sufficient. And that we can just continue to grow in knowing who He is. It's like any good relationship. Any of you who are married, you spend time with your spouse. You get to know them more and more and more. You don't stop getting to know them after a year of marriage and say, Oh, that's good enough. I know you enough. Um, But it continues. The relationship continues to unfold. And so it is with Jesus. And when I think about this truth of Jesus being one who has power and authority, Jesus being one who calms the storms, it's interesting for myself because I feel like that's something that it's easy for me to know, but there's times where I feel like I don't really know it. It isn't really in my heart. And this story, uh, reminds me of an old camp song. Maybe you guys, maybe you guys know this old camp song. It's, uh, with Jesus in the boat, you can smile at the storm. You guys remember how it goes? With Jesus in the boat, you can smile at the storm. Smile at the storm. No? No one? Come on. Oh man, it has the fun part. Is that you smile at the storm when you're sailing home. Let's go. Nicole's doing the actions. This is great. Yeah. We have this great camp song, With Jesus in the Boat, You Can Smile at the Storm. We have a question for us this morning. Is it true? Is that true? When you're experiencing storms in your own life, when you feel like life is coming at you from every side, do you feel like smiling? Even singing that great old hymn this morning, It is well with my soul. Maybe a more mature reflection of with Jesus in the boat, you can smile at the storm. But in the midst of life, in the midst of those storms, is it true? Is it well with your soul? We desire to know Jesus as one who is in control. But if we're honest... I think sometimes that can be difficult to do. Because I I desire to know Jesus as the calmer of storms. But if I'm honest, when the storms of life come my way, my first reaction isn't always to smile. My first reaction isn't always to be like, oh, it's well with my soul. (laughs) It's all good. There's been various times in my life I remember when I was in junior high, my family was out on a hike in Canmore. My brother fell 70 feet off a cliff. I was the first responder in the in the midst of this accident and, and for the weeks that followed, man, that felt like a storm. Living in a hospital with my family practically, waiting for test results, waiting to hear what the next thing is going to be. It's a storm. I praise God my brother is fully recovered. He was here last week. I think he's here this week. Sorry, Dee. Hey, Dee. You guys chat with him about that afterwards. Um, I remember my wife and I getting to a point where we decide we want to have kids. We start trying to have kids. Can't get pregnant. Suddenly we get pregnant. We're like, oh, this is it. We're so excited. Only to lose the baby. Coming home from the emergency room, walking in the front door of our apartment... Collapsing on the floor in tears. The five years that follow, all this infertility stuff, doctors telling us we'll never get pregnant. It's a storm. And I praise God that last week we dedicated our daughter. Total miracle. We have these storms in our lives, financial stresses. Unwanted circumstances, that unwanted diagnosis, watching your children struggle in school, watching your children struggle to have friends, dealing with loneliness in your own life, having difficulties in relationships. I remember how often I've thought in my own life, man, life isn't supposed to be this way. What's with this storm? Life isn't supposed to be this way. Friends, do we know Jesus as being one who is in control? Do we know it? Or is it something that we just we desire to know that? We might say, I don't quite know that. I really want to know that. But I think what that old camp song is trying to get at is that as Jesus walked this earth, he exemplified being one that we can trust. As we read the Gospels, as we learn about the person of Jesus, we see that He is one that we can trust. He is one that is in control. And we need to get to know that side of Him more and more and more and more. We need to allow Him to show us that side of Him, that part of Him, over and over and over and over again. So what can we learn this morning by joining Jesus' disciples on this boat in the Sea of Galilee? What do we learn about Jesus from this story? The first thing I noticed when I was reflecting on this is that Jesus does not promise a life free from storms. Jesus does not promise a life free from storms. Uh, we read in this passage uh, that when, and when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And, and I love this picture. So we have Jesus saying, okay, it's time to go. And these disciples are like, okay, let's go. And they get in the boat with him. But friends, have you ever thought this? Have you ever thought this reality that, man, if I give my life to Jesus, my life is going to therefore be free of trouble. No trouble. Nothing to worry about. I'm not sure about you, but that hasn't worked out for me. And I feel like there's been so many times in my life where I've been sitting on the edge of the boat and the storms are coming and I'm staring off the boat and I'm looking at all the people on the shore. And I'm like, man, I wish I was over there with the people on the shore. I thought being with Jesus was going to be safe. you can almost envy those who aren't following. But here we have the disciples following Jesus onto the boat. And what happens? We keep reading. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus was asleep. Just because the disciples were with Jesus, they weren't guaranteed comfort. They weren't guaranteed safety in this place. Because here they are with Jesus in the midst of a storm. And we watch this reality play out as we continue to read the Bible. When we look at the early church, we see this community forming that uh, we read about it and we get so excited. There's this, this radical generosity. There's this people who are just, they seem to be thriving in relationship with one another. Living the life. And that's from Acts 2. We get to Acts chapter 7. One of the members of their church gets stoned. The beginning of Acts chapter 8, we read about the persecution of the early church happening and the church scattering from Jerusalem. Because they're afraid for their lives. And following Jesus, they found themselves in the midst of a storm. We go on to read about the Apostle Paul. When he's writing in 2 Corinthians to the congregation there, he he talks to them about his experience following Jesus. He says, I was imprisoned, beaten, shipwrecked, in various states of danger. I experienced sleepless nights. I hungered and I thirsted. You read this, like, man, Paul followed Jesus and it was in no way a life free from storms. But friends, I think that often our North American consumerism can trip us up. We get walking into our our life with Jesus and we think that somehow it's going to be easy. A life that's comfortable, a life that is full of nothing but good things. And the problem with these thoughts is that it seeps into our churches And we think, well, if if Jesus is the one who's in control, I shouldn't have to struggle. He's got it all taken care of. And what happens is we as believers carry this. And so when a storm in our life comes, we feel embarrassed about telling someone else about it. Because in the church, people start thinking, well, if I'm experiencing bad things, maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe I'm not trusting Jesus enough. Maybe there's something wrong with me. And so we engage in our Christianity with a big smile on our face, and we don't want anyone to know that we're not okay because we're experiencing a storm. And if you've been carrying that, I'm sorry. When we come and we gather together, this should be a place where we're looking at each other and we're able to be honest. We're able to say, Yeah, I'm experiencing a storm right now. Will you help me in the midst of this storm? But we've bought into a lie that somehow we're the only one going through a storm, that no one else is experiencing what I'm experiencing. It leads us to places of isolation. Something I love about this story is here we have the disciples in the boat with Jesus together, going through the storm together. So, the important thing, though, is so, what do we do now when these storms come? If a life with Jesus, if we know that Jesus is not promising a life from free from storms, what do we do when the storms come? We keep reading here in verse 25. And when the disciples went and woke Jesus, they were saying, Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. We see that Jesus is one who desires us to turn to Him. Jesus desires us to turn to Him. Friends, this can be so difficult in the midst of storms, can it? It can be so difficult. The great temptation in the midst of a storm in our lives is to not turn to Jesus. Now why is that? Well, I think Pastor Ken alluded to a bit of this last week. Sometimes the devil comes and tries to lead us away from Jesus. Whispering lies into our ears. Telling us things like, well, you're in this storm because of all the sin in your life. You're experiencing all this bad stuff because of of all these bad things you've done. So, don't bother Jesus with this. And the enemy comes and does everything he can to try to make us avoid Jesus. If it's not the enemy, sometimes what happens is we end up watching our culture. And we look at the world around us and we ask, well, how is everyone else navigating storms? How are they navigating the same problems I'm facing? And in the midst of trying to figure out how to navigate something by watching how everyone else does it, we end up forgetting Jesus. We don't turn to Him. Or maybe for some of us, our own past experiences have postured us for disappointment. And so instead of turning to Jesus, we just leave Him at arm's length. And we kind of sit in self-pity and sorrow and shame in the midst of our storm. So whether it's listening to the enemy or following the world around us, the culture around us, or really not dealing with wounds from our past, whether it's one of those three things, we need to be very careful that these do not lead us into sin. Do not lead us from continuing to walk away from Jesus. Friends, we need to turn to Jesus in the midst of our storms. Because what was Jesus doing? Where was he in the midst of this storm? Well, Jesus is asleep in the boat. And and when I was studying this and reading about this, it's funny because if you read four commentaries or four scholars' opinions on why Jesus was sleeping, you'll read four separate opinions, four separate thoughts, and as I thought about this and prayed through it, and I really believe that Jesus was exemplifying trust in the Father. Jesus was exemplifying trust in the Father. He trusted God. He had turned to God. His life was given over to God, so much so that he could sleep in the midst of a storm. And it echoes this beautiful psalm in Psalm 121 that we are familiar with because the beginning of it is that I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And that psalm goes on to say that he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He who watches over Israel neither, neither slumbers nor sleeps. And I love that psalm. And it's something I pray over my daughter when putting her to bed sometimes. There's this reality of, you know what? He who watches over Israel neither slumbers and sleeps. So you can slumber and you can sleep. Because God's got it. God's got it. And that's what Jesus was exemplifying. And so when these storms come, we need to turn to Him. Other times I think a reason we don't turn to Jesus is, is we wonder what He has to do with the situation. And this is such a funny scenario when you think about it. Because when Jesus called the disciples, what were they doing before they were disciples? They were fishermen. So these, these were men who were experts of the sea. They knew how to navigate the waters. They knew what to do with the boat. And all of a sudden, they're in a situation where they're turning to the teacher. They're saying, teacher, help me. I don't know what to do. It's like, well, you're the fisherman. You should know what to do. You know, this would be similar to um, a framer asking an electrician for help framing a house. I used to frame houses in Calgary and got my journeyman in carpentry. And I never would have asked a car- an electrician how to, how to frame a house. And I only pick on the electricians because there's a few of them here. But, uh, but you just wouldn't. I'm the framer. I got this. And here we have the disciples who are fishermen. In a situation where they're asking this teacher, this rabbi, to help them navigate the stormy waters. But friends, I think that is exactly what can happen to us. This same reality keeps us from turning to Jesus. I mean, what does Jesus have to do with the storms of my life? How often do we think that? How often, you know, like, what does Jesus have to do with how my kids are doing in school? What does Jesus have to do with my marriage? What does Jesus have to do with my financial situation? So on, so forth. But the Bible tells us a different story, doesn't it? The Bible tells us a story of a God who provides. Of a God who offers peace. Of a God who straightens our paths. Who works on our hearts to shape our character. The Bible tells us of of a God who can heal us. Who can deliver us from from spiritual opposition. Of a God who can calm the anxiety and the depression in our heart. So what does Jesus have to do with the storms in your life? Very much. He has a lot to do with the storms in your life. So we need to look for him. The painter Rembrandt uh, is probably most famously known uh, for his painting in Christian circles of of the return of the prodigal son. Um, And if you went into my office, you'd see a a painting, uh, you'd see that painting hanging on my wall. But right next to it is another one of his paintings called The Storm on the Sea of Galilee, which is maybe uh, not as well known. But I absolutely love this painting. And I don't know a lot about art. I know next to nothing about art. But when you look at this painting, where are your eyes drawn? It's drawn to the light, isn't it? Well, that's where my eyes are drawn. My eyes are drawn to the light. And where's the light? Rembrandt brilliantly paints the light in this painting on the storm and these waves that are crashing against the boat. And the second question, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And you almost have to look for Him because Rembrandt puts Him in the dark part of the boat. But what an amazing painting. When the storms of life come our way, our temptation is to have our eyes fixed on the waves, fixed on the light part of this painting, and we we lose Jesus. We don't look for Him. This painting for me invites me to slow down And ask the question, okay, where's Jesus? When the storms of life rage on, when my circumstances are unfavorable, when I'm struggling relationally, slow down, ask the question, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Jesus desires that we turn to Him. And as we come to Him, we have to trust that He will prove Himself trustworthy. So this passage teaches us that Jesus does not promise a life free from storms. Jesus desires us to turn to Him. And my third observation is that Jesus can be trusted. Jesus can be trusted. And Jesus said to them, this is verse 26, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then He arose and He rebuked the winds of the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey Him. So the the disciples came to Jesus. They they turned to Him. They ran to Him in the midst of the storm. And what happened? Jesus did it. He did it. He calmed the storm. Friends, it is important in the midst of this to note too, and and Norb alluded to this, that the voice of Jesus... I believe it can calm the storms in our hearts. But the waves of our circumstances oftentimes will rage on. I don't want to confuse us and preach a message that Jesus will just make it all go away. As I said earlier, a life with Jesus is not free of trouble. But what's going on in our hearts in the midst of it? Jesus wants to calm those storms. And Jesus invites us in these moments to grow in our faith. He invites us to grow in our faith. And our problem is often this issue of little faith, that we have little faith. Little faith is a favorite expression of Jesus, particularly found in Matthew's gospel. And it's only ever directed to Jesus' disciples. And what I love about this little faith, Jesus isn't saying that they have no faith. He's not looking at them and saying, well, come on, you have no faith. Come on, guys. He's saying, you have little faith little faith. But little faith is a bit of a problem here. Jesus talks a lot about faith throughout the Gospels. And he says that the measure of our faith matters. And he's talking about the parable of the mustard seed. He says that with with faith the size of the mustard seed, we could say to a mountain to throw itself into the sea and and it will be done. This is a very interesting thing to think about because what Jesus is saying here is that the size of our faith matters, so size matters, but a very, very small amount, like the size of a mustard seed, that'll be enough. Like, huh? What, Jesus? So size matters, but the smallest thing will be enough. That's very confusing, Jesus. And Jesus asks a lot of questions about people's faith. He he asks questions like, well, where is your faith? What is the object of your faith? What is the measure of your faith? And in all of this questioning, we need to see this as as Jesus inviting us to a posture of self-observation. Jesus is inviting us to slow down and ask these questions of our own hearts. Because as we honestly ask these questions, as we ask questions like, Who am I placing my faith in right now? Who am I counting on in the midst of this storm? Why do I have all of this anxiety? When we ask these questions honestly, and we choose to be repentant of our misplaced faith, and as we choose to engage in faithfulness, which is walking in what we know Jesus has told us to be true, it leads us to a faithful life and our faith grows. Like a seed like a mustard seed. So suddenly that little bit of faith that we've considered the size of a mustard seed. We've looked at it and we said, this is, the little, this is the little bit of faith I have. Lord, I need to have more faith. And as we make that declaration, Lord, I need to have more faith. And we walk forward in faithfulness. Our faith grows. But here's the problem with little faith. Little faith can hinder our growth. Is it can be tainted with fear and anxiety. Well, a faith that is growing is one that trusts Jesus while we engage in faithfulness. And friends, we can do this. We can ask these questions of our faith. We can do this as we recognize that our faith in Jesus is justified. Our faith in Jesus is justified. You know, I love this part of Matthew because we really have to look at all that's surrounding it. Um, Jesus had just preached the Sermon on on the Mount, and at the end of Matthew chapter 7, he's concluding uh, that that discourse, that teaching time. And it's interesting what they say about him. The people marvel at what Jesus is saying, because he was teaching them with one who had authority, and not as their scribes. And then we launch into Matthew chapter 8, and it's one kind of story after another. And in the first story, we watch Jesus demonstrate authority over leprosy. And he cleanses these men of leprosy. In chapter 8, verses 5 to 7, Jesus demonstrates authority over sickness. As he heals a woman who is sick. In chapter 8, verse 16, Jesus demonstrates authority over a demon. And he gives this person deliverance. What we just read about, verses 23 to 27, Jesus demonstrates authority over the sea. Chapter 9, verses 1 to 8, the story of the man being uh, lowered down through the roof. Jesus demonstrates, what? Authority. That he has authority to forgive sins. The end of Matthew, chapter 28, Jesus says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples. This authority thing is a really big deal. You know, have you ever been on the phone with your your cell phone provider and you're talking to someone and you've been overbilled, you're trying to sort it out, and the person you're talking to isn't helping you at all? What do you say to them? You ask them a question. Can I talk to your manager? (laughs) You know, that's what we say. Can I talk to your manager? And they put us on to their manager and we realize that their manager doesn't really have authority to do what we want him to do. So we say, can I talk to your manager? And he passes us on. and, And maybe eventually we can find someone who can do for us what we want them to do. But in that chain of command, authority matters. It's important. Why do we do that? Because we understand that authority matters. Friends, Jesus is one with an incredible amount of authority. Matthew's been demonstrating that for us in his gospel. When Jesus spoke and he calmed these waters, when he stilled the storm, he demonstrated authority over the winds and the sea. So do you see how faith and authority come together? We can be faithful in following Jesus because he has proven himself to be one that that we can trust. Our faith in him is justified. You may be hearing this and thinking to yourself, man, I don't know how to, to do this. When I'm in the midst of storms and I'm feeling like life is just against me, I don't know how to navigate this. Friends, I invite you, walk with others. The disciples were not sitting in the boat alone. So often we go through the storms of our our lives by ourselves. We don't turn to those around us. And here at TCC, we try to provide opportunities for people to walk with Jesus with one another navigating the storms of life together. You know, it can start at a brunch table as you share a meal together, getting to know one another, maybe even being vulnerable and sharing about a struggle in your life. Our prayer summit coming up next weekend, an amazing opportunity to pray with one another about the storms in each other's lives. We have home groups, life groups, opportunities for people to intentionally walk alongside others on a regular basis, getting to know people a bit more deeply. Friends, if you are not walking with others, I encourage you to consider to find ways in which you can do so. So the Jesus that I long to know, He's one who does not promise a life free from storms. He's one who desires us to come to Him in the midst of storms. And He is one that can be trusted because He has authority to work wonders in our lives. Some of you this morning are are coming and there's storms going on in your life. But I thought it would be appropriate this morning for us to engage in prayer together. And maybe in a little bit of a different way. Because this Jesus who stilled the storms on the Sea of Galilee, I believe, wants to still the storms that are going on in your life. That he he wants to speak to the anxiety and the worry and the stress that's going on in your own hearts. So if you will, join me in this. I invite you to to close your eyes and to to make two fists, one with each hand, and just put them on your lap. With your hands closed in a fist. And I invite you to, to think of the storm. Maybe it's a storm in your own life. Maybe it's a storm in the life of a, of a loved one, a close friend, or family member. And I, want you to, I want to encourage you to ask in prayer. Just ask Jesus silently in your heart Jesus, where are you in the midst of this storm? Just ask him that question in your heart. Where are you in the midst of this storm? Does he feel near? Does he feel far off? Perhaps Jesus is nearby, waiting for your invitation, waiting for you to turn to him. Now I want you to take a moment to express to Jesus a way that your thinking needs to be corrected. Maybe you've been listening to the lies of an enemy, of the enemy. Maybe you've been watching the world around you, dealing with a storm in a certain way, and you've been trying really hard to engage in the storm in the same way. Maybe there's past hurts in your life that are keeping you from trusting Jesus. Whatever it is, just confess that to him. And you could just simply pray, Jesus, I have trouble trusting you because. And you can just say what it is. I have trouble trusting you because. Now I want us to pray together, again, quietly in our hearts. And just say, Jesus, you know this storm that I'm in or my family member is in. And I choose to have faith and to trust you in the midst of this storm. And as you pray that, open I encourage you to open your hands on your lap. But pray, Jesus, you know this storm. And I choose to have faith and to trust you in the midst of this storm. And when you feel ready, you can just open your hands on your lap. It's the posture of surrender. And now that we've done that, I I want you to ask Jesus this one more question. Jesus, what would it look like for me to trust you more in this situation? What would it look like for me to trust you more in this situation? Let's close in prayer together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that you are interested in calming the storms in our lives. I thank you that, that you desire to be present with us and close to us in the midst of these difficult situations that we find ourselves in. And Father, we thank you for what we can read about that happened almost 2,000 years ago. These men out on the water, feeling these waves crash against their boat, feeling in a state of desperation, realizing in that moment that they can turn to you, that they can trust you, and that our trust, in trusting you they are justified because you have the authority to calm those storms. Jesus, help us to do the same. To turn to you. To trust you. So Jesus, we pray that even this week, for each one of us here, Lord, I pray that we would just hear the voice of your Holy Spirit leading us into places of of deeper trust. When we find ourselves discouraged, Lord, I pray that we would just hear your voice, your invitation to turn to you in the midst of storms. Lord, when we're feeling like there's just no way things are going to work out, help us to turn to you in the midst of those storms. And Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord, that in the midst of these situations, Lord, you are faithful. Father, we pray, we ask, God, that that faithfulness would be known by each one of us. Lord, that we would see your faithfulness, that we would experience your faithfulness, that we would live in it. Jesus, help us to walk closer with you. In Jesus' name, amen.